Winter was here, but we are just getting started on the Game of Thrones rewatch here on Post Show Recaps. And now, here's you guys who really disdain long, sullen silences with occasional punches in the face. I am Rob Sestrino, back together with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Oh, man. Well, I am reeling from that punch to the face that you just delivered after our long and pensive silence uh, over the past couple of weeks of the absence of the Game of Thrones podcast. But we're back. Yes. With a with a with a cootie spot for good measure. Yes, we are back. And we had a uh, couple of weeks where we had a hard time uh, getting to back to on schedule. Uh, The good news is that uh, Game of Thrones, uh, we will still be. Uh, well ahead of schedule. I feel good. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're still in good shape good. to finish the rewatch before Game of Thrones comes back. We may not have time to do the rewatch a second time. That I don't think that we could do, but I bet we could rewatch season one. Maybe. Maybe if, if that's what we wanted to do. But I don't think yeah. that's what we want to do, but I think that we, we would be able to if that was our choice. Uh, we appreciate your patience. Uh, for those of you who uh, may not know, uh, we had a, uh, a death in my family and uh, that my wife and I are uh, back home on Long Island uh, to be with uh, my wife's family for a couple of weeks. So it really has uh, thrown a curveball into the podcasting schedule. But uh, Josh and I are back together this week to talk about season five, episode five, Kill the Boy. Kill the Boy. Sending lots of love to you and your family, Rob. Thank Thrilled you. to have Thrilled to have you back here. Uh, I was saying to Antonio on the podcast that we uh, we closed out our podcast on The Sinner. Uh, and as we were doing our catch up on everything that's going on on post show recaps, I mentioned that uh, certainly, uh, you know, not not the circumstances that anyone would want uh, for for a reason to have to pause down on the podcast. But to pause down on season five for just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It could be worse, you know. You pick the right season, you know what I mean. All right. Well, we're gonna take a little break. We're gonna talk about uh, all of this going on here with uh, Jon Snow having to uh, make an unpopular decision to uh, bring the wildlings into the fold. Uh, we're also gonna see uh, Danny dealing with some tough decisions of her own, and then finally. We end up uh, with a lot of stuff going on with Jorah Mormont and Tyrion, not to mention so uh, family drama up at Winterfell with the Boltons. Yeah, the Ramsey Bolton is is really awful. Is such such a such a terrible terrible little scumbag. Uh, every everything that goes on with him is is, is horrible. I have to say this was uh, this may be my favorite episode of season five so far through the first five of season five. There's no Dorn. That you have to worry about in this yeah. episode. Uh, the High Sparrow is uh, is completely MIA. I think that the the Night's Watch stuff is interesting. I actually think that this is uh, the the most compelling storyline in Marine so far. Is Danny bringing everybody down into the basement and threatening them with dragon fire? I thought was a great Danny yeah, moment. Killing some of those harpy guys. Yeah, that was great. And the, the whole scene through uh, Old Valyria is, is still a very, very cool scene. Uh, something that fans of the book certainly were excited about as this was a, a show invention and uh, Valyria being a huge part of the history of the world of ice and fire. Uh, very cool to see that place, even, uh, you know, even, even if it comes at the expense of starting the very weird Jorah Mormont gets grayscale story arc. I noticed you didn't mention anything about Winterfell. You know, 
it's a storyline. And then like there is literally Brienne standing in a window. It has started. So (laughs) it's not a perfect episode. All right. Well, let's start off in Marine because Danny is mourning the loss of Sir Barristan. Barristan the Bold is gone. What should she do now, Josh? That's what she's wondering. You know, Barristan was uh, was a loyal friend. He had, you know, crossed a continent to to serve her and to to be by her side. And now that he's gone, I think that Danny is feeling a little bit rudderless, probably to some degree also missing Jorah Mormont, I would expect. Uh, you know, these two wise men from Westeros uh, are no longer in her council and at, at a time when things are so fraught, as it were. Uh, so she's trying to figure out what is what is the move here? Crack what do down. I do? What do I do? So, yes, it's the crackdown. Uh, it's not release the Kraken, but uh, and don't release the dragons, but introduce, reintroduce the dragons is the move. All right. So Danny is going to ultimately decide to bring me the leaders of all the great houses. Uh, that's what yes. we're going to do. And his dar is like, but, but, but I'm the leader of my house. Like, good. Yeah. Get in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Season. a great moment. That's a great moment. I'd forgotten so much of uh, what goes on with his daughter Zalorak, uh, just because I've really tried to forget <laughs> a lot of this storyline as well. I think at the power rankings of uh, the 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 storylines that you want to avoid in season five, this isn't terribly high, but it's like high middle of the road. Um, and I had just kind of forgotten about his story, sort of a nothing character in my mind. Uh, but this was a funny moment. This was a very funny moment. It's like, wait, I'm the leader of my family. Mm-hmm. She just arrests him immediately. So they bring all of the leaders of the, of the Marine houses uh, down into the dungeon. And then the Unsullied are pushing them closer and closer to the darkness until eventually... Uh, one of the dragons. Do we know which one? Can you ID which dragon this was, Josh? Oh, I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's if, it, if you can tell. It's very, it's very dark. Whoever, whoever burns his, uh, his dar's buddy first, uh, really almost doesn't matter because both of the dragons are able to get their, get their fill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think this might be the best of the marine stuff because uh, it involved some of the masters being, uh, you know, uh, full burned alive and eaten yeah it's cool it's great it's always fun to see that on on this show and this is the the first uh, i mean it's not the first time that danny has had her dragons burn her enemies we've seen that before r.i.p Watto. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, well, <laughs> and not to mention uh blue mouth guy stop i wasn't gonna mention <laughs> it i wasn't i wasn't gonna, we are far past the blue raspberry <laughs> monsters that's done it's over. Yeah. Car- Karth is in the rear view. Uh, but this is this is a move that Danny likes. And in an episode, actually, where we're going to hear a little bit about uh, Randall Tarly, uh, it's interesting that this is uh, also an episode uh, where Danny is just going to have some of her enemies lined up and one of them just burned to death. Uh, not unlike what she's going to do to Samwell's father towards the end yeah. of uh, season seven. But this is interesting because this is sort of like in response to the loss of Sir Barristan. Like that is sort of a, you know, a a line has been crossed. But this was exactly the kind of thing that he was telling her not to do in the previous episodes. Yeah, it's uh, I'm trying to think of it's like a, a certain thing that happens midway through season eight of The Walking Dead 
where someone dies and says to the main character, hey, I know that I'm about to die, but please don't be vengeful and please just get to peace as quickly as possible. And the main character's like, okay, I totally will. And then the character dies and the main character's like, all right, now let's get back to killing All that war. (laughs) You know, let's just start murdering people horribly and give me another good eight episodes before I finally see the the, the light of day. Hmm. Uh, I think this is a, a similar thing and it's a shorter path to clarity for Daenerys Targaryen, thankfully. But I think it's that she's blinded by rage right now. She can't see the wisdom of Barristan the Bold until much later on. Yeah. And his dar is trying to put on a brave face. Uh, he's telling her, uh, Vela Margulis, uh, you know, a man uh, must die, I guess. Uh, uh, I don't care. It's like, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Does he have a better play here or is that his best play to just like play it really, really cool? It's like that. It's like when you're by the it's in Jurassic Park and you, there's the T-Rex and you don't want to move because they can sense your motion. Uh, can they sense fear? Does his star just have to play this as as chill as humanly possible? Well, who is he worried about sensing his fear? Danny or the dragons? And probably a little bit of both. I don't think the dragons care. Yeah, like even if you're like the bravest person in the world, they'll they'll still eat your face. Yeah, it does not make a big impact. They're, they're hungry too. They've been down here for a while, and it's been a long time since they've had the taste of human meat. Yeah. All right, Josh. Sam is uh, reading a literal Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's about like a, a two hundred right character. characters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And though Daenerys maintains her grip on Slaver's Bay, forces rise against her from within and without. She refuses to leave until the freedom of the former slaves is secure. Uh, she's getting the the Miranese updates for sure. At Miranese Who's breaking news. sending this tweet? George R. R. Martin? I mean, <laughs> who's, who's third person uh, omniscient narrator is this? I do wonder, like, who is in Meereen that is sending uh, updates on what's going on in Meereen to Sam? Or does he just subscribe to NPR mm-hmm. uh, and is is listening to what's going on on Meereen's public radio? Uh, it's a very good question of how does this raven get to Castle Black with the news from Meereen? Well, you know, Maester Aemon being a Targaryen, maybe he has some pull somewhere in Slaver's Bay wanting to check in on Daenerys, knowing that she's like his last relative and everything like that. That being said, I don't know. Aemon's been around for a long time, but who does he know in Meereen? Mm -hmm. You know, when did he have the chance to like meet somebody who's going to be in Meereen? Yeah. And uh, Maester Aemon is talking about how it's so terrible that uh, a Targaryen is alone in the world. Thousands of miles away from her only relative. Knock, knock, knock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here comes Jon Snow. Yeah, oh, there he is. <laughs> oh, another Targaryen. Uh, there's a secret dragon. There's a great line where Jon Snow asks Maester Aemon, uh, uh, how do you feel, Maester Aemon? <laughs> it's like, yeah, and he's, he says, like a hundred-year-old man slowly freezing to death. Like, oh. That's bad, oh, right? <laughs> that seems like that's not a good way to feel. Yeah. Uh, Jon Snow needs some advice from Maester Aemon. And uh, Jon Snow says, uh, you know, I've got a problem. And, you know, I think that if I do one thing, half the people are going to hate me. And Maester Aemon says, well, half the people already hate you. Yeah, so just do it. Just do it. He doesn't even want to hear what the two things are. 
Yeah, John says, wait, you don't want to know what it is? He goes, it doesn't matter. Just just do you. You know, you gotta you gotta do what you wanna do. You do You're gonna, you, boo-boo. Yeah, you do you, Jon Snow. Mm-hmm. Uh and he says, you know, you have to find the strength to do what needs to be done. This is where the episode gets its title from. Kill the boy, Jon Snow. Winter is almost upon us. Kill the boy and let the man be born. Um, and I understand where Mace Raymond is coming from, but this might be dicey advice from a hundred year old man who is slowly freezing to death when he says half the men already hate you. What if the half that John is talking about, because he's not telling Eamon the full plan of what he's going to do, what if the half that doesn't hate him, what if this plan is going to turn the people who love him into haters? Yeah. And then he's going to be hated by a hundred percent of the people. Eamon, I think you could just hear John out. Yeah. I do think that Maester Eamon gives Jon Snow some uh, patently bad advice because ultimately, I mean, let's just play this out in terms of where this is going, where ultimately what Jon Snow wants to do, he wants to get Tormund Giantsbane on board to, you know, have the wildlings uh, fight alongside Jon as they uh, go up against the uh, forces beyond and, and, and whatever else, and then they're going to let them live south of the wall uh, and, and give them a place to uh, set up. But it's really going to alienate all of the members of the Night's Watch who are going to eventually go on to kill Jon Snow. Uh, briefly. 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 <laughs> briefly. And I, that... Jon Snow in dying and then coming back to life. I'm not sure if he necessarily gained anything out of that, right? No. No. No, it's not, not really. like he had to die so that he would be reborn and he has like some sort of superpower, superpower. No, or anything no. like His that. His superpower is okay, so I died and I know that there is nothing after death, so I just got to got to live my life. Got to live to the fullest because there's nothing beyond this. Like it meant more That's to it. us than it did for Jon Snow where it made us feel as watchers of the TV show that Jon Snow must be a very important character if he was going to come back to life yeah frankly the whole thing was bullshit (laughs) yeah so i just think that this is uh kind of bad advice that maester aemon and and maester aemon as a uh political advocate is sort of saying to Jon snow that you know uh, play to your base because that uh governance from the middle is overrated uh you know half the people are going to hate you no matter what you do so just, uh, you know, make the base happy. Yeah, he's not doing anything to heal the, the political divide at Castle Black right now, Maester Eamon. The other thing, and too, is... And ultimately, the other side killed him. So yeah. I think that really, I think this is more of, a, of an argument for, you know, uh, some sort of, you know... Civil discourse. Civil you discourse, know, like, you, know, uh, you know, playing to the, the middle. Yeah, I think like to to come up with like some sort of uh, some sort of more logically driven, like a little bit of like we're gonna talk this through. We're gonna we're gonna take a few days to think this over with like maybe a committee, anything really. But Maester Eamon, who is a a one hundred year old man who is slowly freezing to death, yara yaraing his advice to John and just saying like, nope, don't even tell me the thing. Just do it. 
just do the thing. Like, what else does Mace Raymond have going on? Mm-hmm. You know, why can't he just like have like a decent conversation here? <laughs> yeah. Is, you know, like he's literally he can't even, you know, read anymore. He needs to be read to. So what's he going to do when Jon Snow leaves the room? If I'm Mace Raymond, by far and away, the most exciting part of my day is when Lord Commander of the Night's Watch steps in and wants to talk to me about strategy. It's like, oh, you want to consult me? Yeah, let's talk. Um, it's going to be very difficult for you to leave this room. You're going to be here with me for the next five hours. Yeah, and it's also entirely possible that Mace Raymond is at a complete misunderstanding of what Jon Snow has in mind, where if Jon Snow would say, like, okay, I guess I'm going to go and uh, go go up to Hard Home and bring all the wildlings back here. And Mace Raymond, like, what? <laughs> that, that's a terrible idea. No. 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 Oh, no. No, no definitely don't do Back to the boy. They'll bring kill the boy you. back. <laughs> oh god, you already killed him. Yeah. I don't like this man. Yeah, I think uh he would he he might not agree with it. Who knows? Uh that being said, yeah, nice I mean, to Mr. Raymond might have thought Jon Snow is like, uh, I really want to go down to Molestown. Uh, yeah. You know, and uh you know, uh, get uh, blow off some steam. Like, oh, kill the boy. <laughs> do it. Come on. Yeah, definitely. Definitely do that. No one takes that vow very seriously, <laughs> John. Bless your lord. Here. Come on. Let's go. Can I come? You know, <laughs> do what needs to be done. Come on. I, I love seeing the Targaryens together, especially knowing that we're not going to get a, a ton of uh, Maester Aemon much further beyond this point. Uh, that being said, uh, it, it really it is. Uh, it's rough advice. It's 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 not good. It's bad. OK. Jon Snow talks with Tormund Giantsbane, and he uh, wants to know uh, who leads the the Free Folk. They only follow Mance. There, there is no leader anymore, and Tormund cannot be the leader. It's hard to lead when you're in chains. Yeah, and uh, Jon ultimately wants Tormund to uh, fight alongside him against uh, the, uh, the the forces from uh, beyond the wall. The night- yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Tormund is, Tor- no, not the Nightlands. Uh, he wants to make sure that nobody is going to the Nightlands, Jon Snow. He wants to make sure that uh, that he has all of the human allies on his side that he can possibly get. Uh, and Tormund is is very skeptical of this. But Jon says, like, we're not enemies. Uh, the Night's Watch, we are sworn to to guard the realms of men. You belong to the realms of men. All of you. Uh, and John now being Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, he can, you know, he has this interpretation of what their, their oath is, and he's going to make this very drastic swing in this direction. Um, Tormund is still insisting, like, my people are not going to kneel for you. I'm not going to kneel for you. And John says, I don't want them to kneel for me. I want them to fight with me when the time comes. Oh, well, that's a horse of a different color. Why didn't you say so? He kind of looks like the the guy. Well, bust my buttons. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. That is perfect. Uh, but it, so he busts his buttons, right? Yeah. I mean, so. so yeah. Well, John calls him a coward. He's like, well, that's easy to say while well, I'm in these trains. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, you're free now. Okay. Put him up. Put him up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he uh, he unchains him. He uncuffs yeah. him. And, uh, and- <laughs> Torvin uh, needs to go get his people. Uh, there's no place like hard home. 
No place like hard home, indeed. Uh, and Melisandre, uh, by the way, has clicked her ruby slippers and gotten out of Castle Black, uh, or she's about to. But Tormund stands up because now he has the shot. He's just like, John unchains him. They're both just like staring each other down. And John is like, if you want to take your shot, here you are. Here we both are. Uh, I think it's a, it's a, you know, this is. Jon Snow knows how to speak the wildling language at this point. I think that's the great benefit of his brief time undercover with Mance Raider, more uh, his his slightly less brief and briefless time undercovers with Egret. Uh, I think like he now knows how they work and what they respect and and what they don't. And what Tormund is going to respect in this moment is being seen as an equal and being spoken to with a little bit of that alpha bravado. Uh, and Tormund is eating this up at this point. He still has demands, but now he's willing to entertain the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And speaking of demands, uh, I mean, this is an insane negotiation that happens here between Jon Snow and Tormund Giantsbane. Uh, Jon Snow says, uh, I can give you ten horses and nine other men. You can get there in a week. Uh, Tormund says, no, uh, we need ships. And John says, all right, I'll talk to Stannis about lending you his fleet. <laughs> we went from 10 horses yeah. to the fleet. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big leap. That's a very big leap. That's, uh, that seems unreasonable. <laughs> Not even a ship. Yeah, I'll give you a ship. <laughs> the fleet of Stannis ships. Yeah. Go to Hardhome. Why are all the wildlings at Hardhome? That's just where they're holed up because it seems like it's the safest fortress and the the number of them are, uh, you know, they're diminishing. Hard home, I think it's decently close to, to the wall, at least compared to some of the other wildling outposts. And it's the most secure one. Uh, and if it's the most secure wildling outpost, clearly that is that is saying something considering what's about to, <laughs> what's about to go down. Okay. All right, so John with the Night's Watch, that uh, they're having their meeting, and John has uh, gonna let the guys in on the plan, and it is not a popular one. Yeah, let them die. That's less enemies for us. Yeah, Stannis doesn't like that. Grammar police, Stannis. Fewer. <laughs> yeah, the Grammar yeah. King, Stannis. Grammar, Grammar King, Stannis. The rightful Grammar go. King. He would get along with Filthy Martha quite well, I think. Yeah. And uh, it's farther. Mm -hmm. And Sam is trying to help and says, uh, well, we could give them the gift. Nobody's living there. That's fine. Yeah. It's like everyone's like, shut up, Sam. We like the gift. Yeah. We're not giving the gift to the wildlings. Cut them down. Yeah. And they say the reason why nobody is at the gift is because wildlings come in and kill everybody like they did to this boy's parents. I know. And here's Ollie. Uh, the boy will not be killed in this this episode, but of course, John will kill the boy eventually. But this is this is the start of the turn where Ollie Ollie's with John turn. Snow's. Yes. John Snow's number one stan, Ollie, is uh is about to is about to go go rogue here because John is talking about bringing wildlings in. And is completely ignoring the fact that Ollie's family and everybody that he ever knew and loved got horribly butchered by the wildlings. Yeah. Really, by the Fens leading the wildlings. That's fair. Uh, That's fair. You know, I mean, Tormund was there, so mm -hmm. yeah, it is. It, it's all very. It's it's complicated. And Jon Snow's so. girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but he killed her. So, and if Ollie can if be forgiven by John, well, Snow, and maybe right? Ollie never really got filled in on the you know the the gory details that you know uh, John Snow and uh, Egret were shacking up. 
It doesn't feel like it's necessarily his beeswax <laughs> to know that. Yeah. Uh, but even Ed's not on board. He said, hey, they killed Gren. They killed Pip. Yeah. And everyone's like, didn't they kill other people? Why are you only? That's, I guess they're the named characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they killed Gren. They killed Pip. I can't forgive that. I can't forget it. Uh, and like this is why Mace Raymond's advice was very bad. Ed is decisively from the other half, right? Like this is the guy who is supposed to be Team Snow all the way. Yeah. And if he is, well, who's uh, the half that likes this idea other than Sam? This is the, the other piece of this too. Is don't you think John should have at least filled in his guys about what he's planning? Yeah, you it think seems he like, would at least want Ed as like, a, you don't want like one of your few friends like calling you out at the meeting. You sit Ed down and have a horn of bad ale with him and maybe some of that weird looking soup. And you say, listen, I'm about to do something that seems really unpopular. I'm going to explain to you why I'm going to do it. I'm going to need your support. Do you think that you can help me talk to some of the other guys, too, before we take this publicly? Because I'm sure Alistair Thorne is going to be super thumbs down and shitty little Ollie is probably going to be thumbs down. And we're going to need to convince him as well. Like you get a little bit of like a base of people to be on your side. You don't go in as just one person who's Lord Commander with this wildly unpopular idea without giving anyone the heads up and expect it to go well. Mm-hmm. And so after the meeting, John is going to be counseled by Ollie. And Ollie comes in and says, uh, say it ain't so, Snow. Yeah. You're not really, we're not really going to do that, right? You're, you're trying to trick the wildlings, right? It's not a trick. It's an illusion. <laughs> uh. Uh, no, no. I'm, I mean, I'm doing it. Like, yeah. uh, that stinks because now I'm going to have to yeah. kill you. Yeah, I'm totally going to have to kill you now. Uh, yes, uh, it is It is the start of Ollie knowing that he is no longer Team Jon Snow. And it's it's very quick, and you can you can really see it on the rewatch where he says, like, they butchered my mother, they butchered everyone I knew, and then Jon gives him the lightest explanation for why this needs to happen. He says, I know what it's like to lose the people you love, and I know it's hard for you, but winter is coming, and we know what's coming with it, and we can't face it alone. That is not good enough not good enough yeah no he's like all right yeah he just like stiffens up he's like all right anything else you need lord commander Mm -hmm. just like very like snaps right into formal mode very quickly okay all right let's go and see what's going on at winterfell and uh brianne and podrick uh they are following the case back to winterfell to try to track down sansa and podrick is arguing like hey maybe this is a better place for her maybe she's better off here Podrick doesn't have the spoilers for the rest of season five. No, no. It's about to get one episode's time. It's about to get very bad. Mm -hmm. Very, very bad. Uh, This whole scene is kind of whatever, right? Like this, we could yara yara through for sure. Uh, This is the, you know, very famously, you think of uh, Brienne in season five and what is she doing? Most of the time, she's standing by this window Mm -hmm. waiting for a candle to be burnt and in another window in Winterfell so that she has the signal to go and save Sansa Stark. And she puts that plan into motion here when she encounters this guy who used to know the Starks. And she's like, do you like the Starks? He's like, do do you like the Starks? She's like, I kind of like the Starks. I kind of like the Starks too. And so they sort of have this like loose alliance and they come up with a deal to, uh, to, to get this thing into motion. And that's basically it. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, we're going to check in with uh, a lot of butts here with uh, Miranda and Ramsey. Multi-butts. Yes. Multi-butts. And yes. Miranda, a little jealous about uh, Sansa. He uh, was caught looking at Sansa by Miranda. And he's like, yeah, That's, of course yeah. I'm looking at her. What are you, crazy? Yeah. That's a funny line. I'm going to marry her. It's going to involve looking at her from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miranda is very upset that Ramsey is marrying Sansa and not marrying Miranda. Miranda had uh, long had this this hope that she would be the governess of Winterfell. Uh, and it, it did not it did not go her way clearly. Yeah. And. She's very jealous. She doesn't like Sansa. She wants Ramsay all to herself. Who can blame her? Who can blame her? He is a prize. Yeah. And she says, well, maybe I'll, I'm going to marry also. Uh, and <laughs> Ramsay says, uh, you're the kennel master's daughter. Who are you going to marry? The stable keeper's son? Give me a yeah. break. What's Come your problem, Ramsay? Alex, a great guy. Yeah. So. He's got a stable job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. We're back. Yeah. Uh, so th- these two, they shouldn't have even gotten involved with Sansa. They deserved each other. Yeah. Uh, I was shipping they, them the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the best Ramsey. Yeah, Maramsey. Mm, I like that. Yeah, that would have been a great spinoff. I would have followed these two all the way to to a shy if needed be. It seems like an appropriate place given their attire in this scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not as shy. They're not as shy. Yeah. <laughs> they're as, they're as proud. Okay. Meanwhile, Sansa gets visited by uh, this. We're, gonna, we're not even going to remark on Miranda just biting Ramsey's face. That looked painful, what? and I'm so I, I. How did they How did they film that? It is awful. <laughs> Sansa is going to uh, meet a uh, a nice older woman. She remembers. And not for nothing, sorry, but Miranda biting Ramsay's face is I mean Ramsay's going to get his face eaten at some oh, point. Oh, by, the, by the, the the kennel keeper's daughter. By the kennel by the dogs, mm-hmm. by the dogs who Miranda is also going to be fed to. So, in the end they go to dog heaven together. Mm-hmm. I hope they found each other in the nightlands. <laughs> They absolutely did. You know they did. Yeah, they were meant to be. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. Right. So Sansa meets this woman who was obviously obviously sent by the guy that Brienne to talk to. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what do what should I do if I need anything, older lady? And she says, "Okay, here's what you do. If you ever need a, need trouble, climb up to the highest, windiest tower there is in the middle of winter." And then put a single candle in the window. That's the signal. Yeah, it won't blow out in point uh, two seconds either. Trust me. And <laughs> it will. It will not be uh, conspicuous at all. You going up to the highest tower, the highest window of the broken tower. <laughs> uh, you, the lady of Winterfell, sneaking away. Uh, bad plan. Really no wonder that Starks and Stark loyalists just get duped and dunked on at every turn. These guys are are not great at making plans. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We're going to see uh, Miranda. She's going to meet up with Sansa. And, uh, you know, this old trick, she's trying to befriend her. 
Yeah, this is like, uh, you know, she's kind of doing the uh, the Ramsey act of Ramsey befriending Theon of being like, I'm a friendly face that you can trust in this otherwise awful situation. But secretly, I'm actually the worst. Uh, what is she is going over- for here? Uh, why does she want to throw it in her face that Theon is here? Uh, because like, what's I the agency she- here? I think that that she feels like that's going to be a form of emotional terror for Sansa to have to be faced with this, you know, this figure from her from her past, from her childhood that is very familiar, who she has not seen in a very long time, who she's now seeing in this very different context of not only does he have the baggage of uh, at least by reputation, having killed Bran and Rickon. We know that that's not the truth. Uh, But on top of that, he is also so fully beaten down by the Bolton regime that I think it's almost like this is a sneak preview of what you can expect. So I think that it's a lot of like psychological terror that she's trying to wage on Sansa. I think it's actually relatively effective. Okay, so maybe she thinks that Sansa might leave once she sees this. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, then we, uh, see Sansa go into the kennels. This was a bad idea, I think, on Sansa's part. Definitely. Like, Don't oh, go down that surprise. hallway. I can't spoil it. Don't go down there. Like, what she sets up in there, Miranda says, oh, you know what? There's something that's going to help you remember your mom. It's at the back of this kennel with all these barking dogs. You should go, go see it. Like, n- no. What is it? <laughs> I don't. And I mean, I think that the relationship between Sansa and Miranda, it's going to turn pretty hard fairly soon. Um, But aren't there even like some moments of like confidence between the two of them from like Sansa not really understanding that Miranda is coming for her in like an episode or two from now? It's like at this point, I think maybe this is when you're like, all right, I'm not hanging out with that Miranda lady anymore. She's uh, she's she's definitely there's something going on here. Mm hmm. And like this is this is what she thinks is gonna make me happy to see Theon Grajoy. Grajoy. I don't think so. I don't think so. Grajoy. <laughs> and uh, Theon sees Sansa and uh, he tells her you shouldn't be here. Uh, frankly, none of us should. No, get us out of here. Yeah. All right. Uh, back in Ramsey's room. Theon's in big trouble. Yeah. Theon. Yeah. Uh, do you have something to tell me, Theon? Or Reek, I suppose. Yeah, Reek. He is in, he's in Reek mode. Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, she saw me. The Lady Sansa, she saw me. She's at the, she's at the dog pound. Mm-hmm. And he tells Theon, uh, get, on, get on your knees, uh, Reek. Yeah. Get on your knees and tell me you love me. <laughs> we love you. Uh, yeah. So he has, he tells Reek, no secrets, no more secrets. And once again, this is we've we've talked about this before. This is Ramsey's favorite thing is to like really draw out a moment and make it look like he's going to do something very, very, very horrible to Theon. And then he doesn't. He just like shows him a little bit of love. He's like, yeah, you're fine. You're good. I forgive you. Mm-hmm. OK. All right. So thank goodness Theon is like, uh, I, I don't know if we needed to see this moment. We did not. <laughs> Like, <laughs> but but we are at the moment in the story where uh, it feels like Benioff and Weiss feel like they've they're they're getting you know they're coming close to the end of the story and they need to pad it out a little bit. We're certainly at the moment where uh, they are running out of material from George R. R. Martin to adapt, and so we are left with the Dorn storyline and scenes like this. Okay, 
All right, then we are going to go to a long dinner scene uh, where we're going to see at the big dinner, it's going to be a double date of Sansa and her uh, betrothed, Ramsay, plus Roos and Waldefrey. Love Waldefrey, yeah. Uh, and Waldefrey is going to have some very, very good news, but not before a very awkward moment between Ramsay and I guess everybody. The whole thing is very uncomfortable. Yeah. So dinner is going along okay, and Walda Frey, uh, who I, I guess is not really looped in on anything, says, uh, it must be difficult for you being in a strange place. W- what is Walda Frey talking about? Is she just like a you know uh, stupid Frey that she doesn't r- really know that Sansa, the Sansa Stark is here? The Starks are from Winterfell. Like, is she just not clued in at all about what's going on? She's probably just like trying to make conversation. She said an awkward thing. She's like, oh, that was probably an awkward thing. I should have said that. Oh, God. At least it's better than putting her foot in the dog's mouth as it will as it will occur in season six. Uh, But yeah, I think I think it's it's a situation like that. Uh, It gets so much worse where Ramsey brings Theon back in as Reek and is like showing him off as Reek to Sansa and has Reek apologize yeah. for what he did to the to the boys. But Sansa is not even trying anymore. Where, you know, the whole the plan like two episodes ago was that, you know, Littlefinger told her, You go there and make the Bolton boy your own. And uh now she's like, uh now she's back to like sassy uh Sansa. She's like, uh, you know, the place isn't strange, the people are, okay? You guys are weird. Think, yeah. <laughs> I don't like it here. Yeah. It smells like dogs, wet dogs everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You've wet dogged Winterfell. Uh, I I think it's a testament to the fact that once again, that this is a huge miscalculation on Littlefinger's part, that he did not do his research on this. And you always got to do your research. She's still wearing the power of veto. She, she is. She's still like fully regaled out. Uh, but I, I think that she ha- she's walking into this situation with the expectation that, yeah, Ramsey's probably going to be a guy that I can manipulate and somebody who I can, uh, you know, I can I can put all my little finger tut- tutelage into into practice here. Uh, but Ramsey is a monster that mm. she and both Littlefinger have uh, underestimated Sansa through Littlefinger's misguided guidance. Uh, so I think that when she is now in this situation and is being faced with somebody who is decidedly Joffrey-esque, uh, I think it's a it's got to be a surprise for her, okay. uh, as it should be. So I'm I'm as always I'm willing to give Sansa Stark a lot of slack. Okay, so we have Ramsay then forcing Reek to apologize for killing your brothers, and uh, you know, super awkward moment. And uh, I love this when uh, Roose Bolton is ready to turn the tables on Ramsay. Yeah, he's like, hmm. Oh, I have some good oh, news. Okay. Well, in other news, um, yeah. guess what? Walda is having a baby. Yeah. And if you open the hard-boiled egg that's in front of you, the yolk <laughs> will be blue. <laughs> oh, wow. This is a uh, gender reveal party also? Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, Maester Wolken says it looks like a boy. Looks like a boy, and uh, Ramsey is already conspiring to kill the boy uh, yes. because he knows. Oh, he knows. Oh, double, he knows. Double meaning. 
about that? This is this is why you pay me the big bucks, Esther <laughs> Nino. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a moment where clearly like he's already starting to think about this because uh, uh, he's he, he is, he, you know, he's legitimized at this point. He's a Bolton. He's Ramsey Bolton. But you got to imagine that if Roos is going to have a son that is born legitimately from the jump, that's probably going to be a kid with a with a slightly better claim to the north than Ramsey. So this is going to make Ramsey very uncomfortable. All right. So uh, Roos and Ramsey are going to have some after dinner talk and uh, Ramsey uh, being uh, really Ramsey ish right now <laughs> with his dad. Yeah, I mean, this whole scene is uh, this is this is among the best Bolton scenes, I think. <laughs> Because uh, I think it just speaks to both of them so purely and perfectly of how they are both just wretched, wretched people. But one of the things that um, I don't think that the show always does very artfully with this arc, but I think is doing well in this moment is like the type of moment that Roos and Ramsey have in this scene. It's it's the it's the coming together of an estranged father and son. Right. It's like the father, like finally expressing to his son who feel who has felt really distant from his father his entire life like you are good enough and i need you and i i i've known from from my from my you know from the very first moment i laid eyes on you that you are my son that it's like it's kind of like the opposite tenor of a tywin and Tyrion scene uh, and here it is in like the hallowed halls of Winterfell, which is like the the site of heroism in game of thrones this is where the starks come from and then you consider like the content of the story and the story is very, very, very dark, but the show plays it very straight as though it's sort of like this honorable, uplifting moment. And it is in the context of the Boltons, but the Boltons definition of honor and noble and uplifting is highly, highly, heavily skewed from what a normal person thinks. So I, I think it's it's a it's a well constructed scene in in that way. Like it, the story that Ram, that Roos tells about how you never asked me about your mother. She was a peasant girl who I raped uh, after I killed her husband, who I hanged by a tree and I, I raped her beneath his hanging mm -hmm. body. And then and then she was pregnant with you. And I knew it was you were my boy. It's like, oh, that is viciously, viciously dark. Right, right. Uh, we also, we, uh, we also Yara Yara, the, uh, Ramsey asking about, uh, how do you know if Walt Frey is pregnant? Right. So it's, yeah. a, it's just a, uh, not a, <laughs> no, it's not nice. Not nice. Mean. Neither Bolton is nice. They're horrible. They're horrible. Both of them are horrible. Not nice. Okay. All right. Let's get out of Winterfell here and, uh, let's go back up to Castle Black and, Gilly is looking at the books and uh, she wants to know, uh, is this every book there is in the world right here? That would be great. Mm. Sam would certainly be thrilled to have access to all of the books. But no, uh, there is a much bigger library at this place called the Citadel. Yeah, where we will be headed in short order. Like, uh, Gilly, uh, do you remember when you learned the word book? Uh, did, did they tell you it's a thing that's at Castle Black? No, no, that's not what that's not what you learned. The word, the definition of the word book was right. Yeah, we are going to book a trip to the Citadel <laughs> in in just a little while. Uh, but yeah, so they're 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 planting the, the seeds for for that here. Yeah. Okay. Nice, nice, nice. Citadel is uh, happening. Uh, do you know Sam always wanted to be a maester? 
I'd heard. Mm-hmm. I had heard. Yeah. All right, here comes Stannis. And uh, Stannis, uh, he's heard about Samwell. Yes, he has, because he uh, he knows about Randall Tarly. He's uh, a fine soldier, Randall Tarly. The only guy to ever defeat Robert Baratheon. Yeah. Uh, so Stannis is looking at, at Sam. He's like, you don't look like Randall Tarly. No. But you killed a White Walker? Yeah. Uh, yeah, with a dagger made of dragonglass. And Stannis is like... Dragon glass, that's worthless. We've got yeah. a ton of it in Dragonstone. Yeah. Oh, wink. <laughs> Why would that work? Uh, why would you need to know this information for future <laughs> reference? <laughs> All right. Put a pin in that. Yeah. All right. Uh, Stannis tells Samwell, uh, well, learn how to fight them. He's like, I just told you, I killed them with dragon glass. Yeah. But I, I do love that line. I mean, I'm I'm uh, I, I do regret the way that the show uh, played out the Stannis Baratheon storyline and, and the moments that he does have in Castle Black, I think, are sometimes really, really fun. And just that line of keep reading Samuel Tarly. Uh, you know, Stannis is a guy who values education. Uh, I do appreciate that about him. OK, Stannis is packing up, getting ready to uh, march out of Castle Black. Yes, because uh, winter could be here any minute, and the longer we stay here, the more advantage the Boltons have in the north. For a guy who is as strategic as Stannis Baratheon, this all feels like a miscalculation. What should they do? Fairly severe way. What do you think this is the um, If you're going to lend your fleet to Jon Snow anyway and uh, get all the wildlings Maybe like just like wait it out at Castle Black for a little while longer. See how that plays yeah, out. But winter is coming. Your, I know, but if you don't get your ships back anyway, like you're already screwed. It's already over. So maybe get the wildlings in, and then maybe make another pitch. You know, like try to try to come up with another way to sell Jon Snow and the wildlings on why they all need to fight with him, and then you march on on uh, Winterfell. But if you're going to march it, it's going to be winter any possible minute here. I don't think you want to get caught with your pants down in the middle of winter, as Stannis does. Yeah, uh, I just don't know if it would have been any better. They should have left, uh, you know, a week earlier. Yeah, I don't think that there's any great options here. <laughs> yeah, you know, in hindsight, maybe attacking Winterfell from Castle Black was not the way to go. Right. Maybe you you go up to Castle Black. You save the night's watch from what happened with the wildlings and you sail back to dragonstone mm -hmm. seemed like you had no trouble getting here maybe you just you do that thing you say hey john snow okay you don't want to be a stark that's fine uh but perhaps you will remember this favor that i did for you i'm going back to dragonstone and uh could could use your help at some point in the future yeah okay well uh We'll save that for another day, looking back at uh, Stannis's uh, coulda, shoulda, woulda. Oh, man, that means the Game of Thrones final season isn't premiering until a year from now. Yeah. If we have to bust out that podcast. Yeah. just feels like that there was a, a better way to, for Stannis to, uh, you know, you know, Winterfell is sort of centrally located. I don't know if this is a great place to uh, land a ship. Um, yeah. White Harbor, but then you're—I don't know. Yeah, there's really no, there's really no great way of doing this. Mm -hmm. The whole Stannis Baratheon plan towards the end is not great. Not great. 
Okay. All right. So uh, everybody is uh, is uh, leaving, and uh, John and company watches everybody uh, take off. Yes, uh, and somewhere, I mean, somewhere along the way, we didn't get the scene. Stannis did agree to give John the freaking fleet. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? I don't know. Uh, I, I think that's probably why they didn't show us the scene. <laughs> you know, because it's like, well, there's really no realistic way we. Could. I mean, I guess the they, the ships were just going to, you know, again, the, this battle plan, and maybe there's a listener that really understands uh, what they were doing. But okay, we're gonna sail to. You know, uh, and and park our ships uh, north of the wall, and then we'll march on Winterfell from Castle Black. Right. Which is, uh, uh, I guess they they won't see that coming. No. What do they kind of do? You know, they definitely do. Mm-hmm. Based on how it plays out, they just they just get crushed. But I guess the ships they're not, they're not doing anything with them. They're just they're just leaving them there. So maybe uh, Stannis is like, ah, eh, okay, sure. Yeah, what's the point? Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you got them, use them. Yeah. Use them if you got them. <laughs> All right. Then, uh, we uh, anything else from uh, Stannis uh, taking off? No, not really. Uh, this is the last that John will ever see this guy. Uh, and Melisandre looks back up at John with a, with a longing look. And, of course, she will be back here before the season is over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, a little bit of uh, interplay between uh, Shireen and Davos, and Solis shuts it down. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Solis at this point already has a sense of what they're going to have to do to Shireen. Okay. All right. And Shireen, I think, being here just once again to just remind us a little bit of the stakes of Grayscale. Let's uh, check in with Grey Worm, who's uh, recovering. And uh, Grey Worm is uh, very embarrassed. He's uh, he's uh, tells Missande that he uh, failed everyone. Failed everyone. He's very sad that Sir Barristan is dead. Uh, doesn't matter that he fought bravely, and it's not that he is afraid of death. He is afraid that he will never again see Missande from the island of Nod. <laughs> yeah. And Missande's like, all right, that was hot. Yeah. Josh, that I I know that uh, you are not in the loop on all of the other uh, reality TV podcasting that I've been doing, but I have been uh, <laughs> embroiled in a controversy about one of the boring showmances on another television show that I podcast. Oh, really? About. Yes. Give me the cliff notes. Well, the, the, there's there's a couple that's on Big Brother, and uh, yeah. I, I find them to be very boring and people uh, there's been some pushback on that i said on another podcast that i think that uh, jim and pam are also another couple that is extremely boring uh okay. will the will they or won't they the chase uh, that was all good but once jim and pam get together i think they got real boring uh but Missande and Grey Worm, I think uh, I've got them up there really high in the boring all-time tv showmances yeah, I mean, I just don't think it's legendary in any kind of way. Um, I mean, I think that you got to imagine Jim and Pam is past Grey Worm and Missandei, even if like it gets a little well, boring. Well, they're more iconic. They together. They're more iconic, for sure. Yeah. 
So you say that uh, who's more boring in your in your rankings? Well, I think I think you know there are there are times when the scenes between Grey Worm and Miss Sunday I think are well written and well acted and all of that, but I also do feel it's a lot of scene filler. You know, I think I I do think that we're you know especially in like the back half of Game of Thrones we are dealing with a lot of scene filler. Uh, it's just a and, lot of I feel like they, they have the same conversation over yeah, and over yeah. and over again. Yes, yes. You know, they're slowly, slowly pushing the ball forward. Uh, poor choice of words <laughs> yeah. on, on this, on this storyline uh, and emphasis on slowly. Okay. All right. Let's go up to Daenerys's uh, war room. And uh, she's talking with Missande. And, uh, you know, she's looking for some counsel from Missande. And Missande's like, what, me? What, me? You want advice from me? Yeah. Well, Danny has always been a Missandei fan from the jump, you know, from the moment that she laid eyes on Missandei. She was like, oh, you're smart. I like you. Uh, so this is kind of Missandei's time to shine now that uh, now that Barristan is dead and Jorah is gone and Grey Worm is incapacitated and Dario is just like, kill him, kill him all. Mm-hmm. Like she needs another perspective. Uh, and so Missandei is here to to give. Uh, to give some advice. Yeah. And uh, you know. Missande is yeah. the ultimate sycophant kiss ass that Daenerys <laughs> asks wow. her, okay, Missande, you're here. Everybody's giving me advice. What what do I do? And Missande, uh, that she's what a what a player in the Game of Thrones because uh, she knows exactly what to say to these egos. She says, look. I can only tell you what I've seen, uh, Your Grace, but I, I've seen you listen to your counselors. I've seen you lean on their experience when your own was lacking in weight choices they put before you. And I've seen you ignore your counselors because there's a better choice, one that only you could see. So I think that really the, the decision that you think is the best is really the way to go. Like, oh, yes, you're right. I am the smartest. I am the best. Yes. Um, yes, you're right. I do know everything. Don't you think sometimes it's nice to feel empowered by someone who you like and someone you trust in a time of need for that person to say to you, look, I could tell you my opinion, but my honest opinion is you got this. You got this. You got this. Don't worry about what I have to say. Just just listen to yourself. You got this. Do the thing. Do the thing. And I think that works for Danny. Sometimes you need that. Sometimes you just need the boost. Yeah, I guess so. But. I think I would be frustrated if I was there. I said, yeah, I know I've got this. What do you think? <laughs> I, 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 I don't need well, you to. Well, you're clearly a little more confident. I don't need than, you to tell me I got this. I wanted you to think, what is the right decision? Right, right. Because then, uh, then you, you don't say later, like, oh, I told you so. I told, you know. Who is giving better advice in this episode, Maester Eamon or Missandei? I think they both said the same thing. Yeah. Do the thing. Yeah. And ultimately, uh, Danny is going to go down to Hisdar Zalarak. And then uh, he is like begging for his life. Uh, he's like, please don't do this. And she's like, oh, what happened to uh, Velar Margulis? It's like, well, I didn't want to die a coward, but I don't want to die. Yeah, apparently I don't want to die at all. Yeah. All right, so Danny says, all right, how about this? I'm going to open up the fighting pits. Fighting pits, they're back. They're We're back. back. Only free men, pits. no slaves, okay? Also, you're going to marry me. He's like, whoa, 
cool. This is this changed. <laughs> I, I really thought things were going differently. Mm-hmm. So, Josh, we have like this these two stories uh, between uh, Danny and John, where they both have to make these uh, big decisions, and they uh, both end up, you know, uh, casting their lot here for the rest of season five. I mean, uh, do you think that uh, Danny's decision is as bad as John's? Here's the thing, and it's something that I've talked to you about on these podcasts before in terms of uh, where I feel the story could end for John and Daenerys ultimately. And Jon Snow, by the end of season seven, has been decisively revealed to the audience as the son of Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark. So he's got uh, a real strong claim to the Iron Throne. Daenerys's whole storyline is about how she has been eyeing the Iron Throne. It's her birthright and everything. So your instinct is like, okay, if we're trying to figure out who is going to be leading Westeros at the end of this whole thing, is it going to be Jon? Is it going to be Danny? Is it going to be both of them? I think that the the season five storylines uh, for both of them as John is um, fighting his way through being Lord Commander of the Night's Watch during a very politically fraught time. And Daenerys is the Queen of Meereen during a very politically fraught time. And both of them kind of biff it. Despite the fact that they have good intentions, Danny doesn't want to see slavery instilled in Meereen ever again, and she wants to draw a very hard line against anybody who would ever believe in such a heinous practice. And Jon Snow wants to save human beings. He wants to bring in more numbers to this battle against the dead. Um, and despite these best intentions, the way that they go about um, you know, capitalizing on these intentions and doing the right thing becomes very unpopular, gets Jon literally killed briefly and gets Daenerys chased out of Meereen on a dragon. She'd be dead if not for Drogon. Um, and I think for me, what the storytelling purpose of this, the, the ultimate narrative purpose is John and Danny are not great leaders. Uh, they, they are, you know, wartime commanders on the battlefield. Sure. Um, but you know, in terms of peacetime and getting, you know, communities together and getting everybody on the same side and really, uh, you know, reforming, um, these cultures, this is, this is not their strong suit. And I really don't expect either of them will be sitting on the iron throne by the end of this. I really think that their destiny is to save mankind in a, on a macro level, but when it comes to the micro stuff, they are not very good. Uh, I think that's what we're supposed to be getting out of the season five storylines for both of these characters, and certainly within this episode, this inflection point for both of them, uh, these two separate inflection points of them making these choices that are going to send them down this point of no return. And the decisions they make are sort of the opposite ones, where John makes sort of the unpopular decision and goes against the the people. I, would you say that Danny does the move that is uh, sort of like the more populist decision, which is the one to reopen the fighting pits, which uh, to try to, you know, uh, get it's seemingly the popular decision. She's going to marry his Dars, Alarak, to try to uh, make this all work as opposed to where Dario is saying like, hey, just let's uh, let round everybody up. Yeah, but it's like too little too late. Yeah. You know, it's it's the it's the kind of thing where like if a severely unpopular leader did something that would make their detractors, you know, policy wise happy, it doesn't mean that those detractors are automatically going to forgive all of these other transgressions like, I don't know, burning 
one of the heads of the great families alive by dragon fire or, uh, you know, uh, crucifying all of the masters. Like these people are not going to forget that that happened just because you reopened the fighting pits and because you're going to marry, uh, his daughter's a Lorak, who I can't imagine is like the most popular guy in me. Right. Right. So like it's, yes, this is a populist move, but it, it's just, it's, it's too little too late at this point, I think. Okay. So, we're going to now check in with uh, Jorah and Tyrion as they sail through the the doom of Valeria. I love this scene. This is great. It's like this is just like it's the it's the epic fantasy scale. It's you know the the lonely boat going through the lonely dead city. These two uh, incredible actors reciting. Uh, you know, Westeros poetry. Uh, it's just, it's it's a delightful, delightful moment. I love this scene very much. Tyrion wants some wine. Yeah, he he's a drinker. He says, I'm a person who drinks. People who drink need to keep drinking. Yes, otherwise they will stop drinking. Uh, Jorah is not the uh, most fun road trip person there is. You think? He's not super fun. No, uh, I think uh, he would be he would be a very annoying person to be stuck on a road trip with. But he's like a good tour guide because then they bond about going through uh, the uh, doom of old Valeria. Yeah, he's he's effective, you know, he's effective, but he's he's uh, deadly boring. Uh, you know, call the fun police on yes. this guy. Uh, Tyrion uh, comments on the long, sullen silences and the occasional punches in the face uh, with with Jorah. But as they uh, go through the sightseeing, this is like a good like Disney ride of like uh, like Jungle Cruise through Old Valeria. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Even with like the animatronics uh, popping out, yeah, complete you know? with like, oh wait, what's happening? Oh, this isn't expected. Oh, look, looks like the uh, there's grayscale guys everywhere. Uh, they uh, they just announced HBO just announced this past week. I don't know if you saw this, Rob, that uh, Game of Thrones and Northern Ireland, they're teaming up so that actual Game of Thrones filming locations are going to be open to the public. So you'll be able to, like, go to Castle Black or Winterfell, where they actually shot the show, uh, some of these sets. And that's exciting like that's very cool i i i will really do my best to to make it out there once they have that installed but you still feel like game of thrones world like harry potter world like that's got to happen someday and if this tour through valyria isn't a part of it it's a real missed opportunity because it's it's really already written out yeah i mean westeros is sort of set up like the uh like classic amusement park where you could sort of go in like to the different kingdoms uh like uh okay let's go down to dornland I think it's a harder sell just because of the mature content. Of no, Game it's of like Thrones. Westworld, Josh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe one day HBO will uh, will drop the the chunk of change that's I mean, required. It's got to be for like adults. Actual, so I mean, like you're not gonna have like uh, kids going there. Well, you shouldn't have kids <laughs> going there. All right, uh, but guess what? Here come all of the stone men. Oh uh, yes, the stone men. Yeah. And they are uh, jumping into the boat, attacking Tyrion and Jorah. Yeah, don't let them touch you. Don't let them touch you. So, yeah, it's like, I mean, this is a, again, this is like a scene out of Walking Dead, like the way that this play is at. Like, this is like a zombie attack. Yeah. Uh, like, don't get bitten, don't get scratched, don't get touched. Mm -hmm. uh, and Jorah is really doing all of the legwork here, and Tyrion is just like screaming for help. More bonds! <laughs> help! Yes, because he's tied up, and then he ends up uh, diving into the water, 
but a uh, stone man is like pulling him down to the bottom of the ocean. Do the stone men need to breathe? Uh, I would expect that they probably need to Maybe breathe. Maybe they can't swim. Yeah. Pro- it's probably all of that weight. The stony weight. Yeah. I, Who needs stones in your pockets when you're literally covered in stone? What do the stone men want to do to you? Are they like zombies? They're crazy. Are they? They, they're they want to. They want to eat you. They're insane. I think they just want to like viciously murder mm-hmm. you. You know, or they want to like poke you on the forearm with their index finger. Uh, in the case of what happens to Jorah, it seems like that is exactly what they would like yeah. to do. I mean, that's like the classic like Walking Dead uh, thing that we talk about where they seem like uh, just like a they get you just a little bit if you're one of the main cast. Yeah, uh, it's just a just a touch, just a, a cootie spot of bother mm. is is all we're getting here. This was a, a great uh, moment in our podcasting history was the introduction of the cootie spot. Yes, yeah, so we had a lot of fun talking about that. And so uh, meanwhile, we then go from Tyrion. He was being pulled under Jorah. He wakes up and he sees him and they're going to they're going to take some rest now. Yeah, it's time to time to rest up, and Tyrion says it's the best idea Jorah has had yes, all day long. But we see Jorah roll up his sleeve, only to reveal the cootie spot is here. It happened that quickly. Dan, bam, bam, bam. Yeah, yeah. Just, just a little, the little touch of the grayscale, and all of that talk about grayscale all season long has finally paid off. Even though grayscale itself, ultimately, I don't think will pay off. Uh, you know, it's a whole it's a whole lot of ado about nothing. Right. Uh, given given how Jorah is going to untangle himself. I mean, look, it's going to lead to a really gross scene, uh, like a like a delightfully disgusting scene later on. And the, the story about how they filmed uh, the the destruction of Jorah's grayscale was really, really fun to get from the perspective of the actors. But it's really all you have to do to get rid of grayscale is just chip it off mm-hmm. and put some. And rub some like calamine lotion on it. Yeah, it's kind kind of ridiculous. I mean, it's too bad they didn't catch it early enough. I mean, it could have been like if uh, George had a pocket knife, he could have done it himself. Yeah, if this is like a real thing, like you would you would really want to popularize this information. I yeah. feel like now maybe you know Sam's cure for grayscale is uh, there's some like secret ingredient that's like really expensive, like Jimbo's beer recipe. <laughs> yeah we don't know the uh the the scale cake <laughs> is destroyed in the wildfire <laughs> grayscale bow uh uh cure bow yeah poor mo 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 yeah i don't know all right we're, we're losing it we're losing it we're okay. losing it I, right. lo- I love this little trip through valeria though and as we are looking at possibilities for uh successor series to game of thrones these uh these possible prequel shows i really am all in on a show that is set in valeria and builds to the doom i think that that would be an awesome awesome fantasy epic on tv there'd be so many dragons there'd be so much mystery because nobody knows what happened to valeria uh george r R. martin has not revealed that information yet uh and i think that would just be it would be rendered so beautifully i would be very very excited about it i think like the whole mournful quality of jorah and Tyrion. Uh, just rowing through this dead place. It's just it's uh, it's some of the like the nerdiest stuff uh, for for the show. I I just I love it. I think it's great. I hope to see more of it in the future. Okay, uh, Josh. Next week, unbowed, unbent, unbroken. Yes, the episode that I have uh, declared as the worst episode <laughs> of Game of Thrones. 
All right. Let's see. Let's, Let's see. see. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. You know, in that morbid way of like, sure, let's see, is it is it as bad as all of that? Uh, you know, is it just like a couple of scenes that are really, really awful? Uh, I think it's I'm going to be I'm going to be very surprised if like the Sansa stuff plays any better. And if the Sand Snake stuff, mm-hmm. plays any. <laughs> I expect that both of those will be as thoroughly terrible as I recall. Uh, but maybe there will be other moments in here that are that are better. Just doing a quick overlook of what's in uh, the episode. We're going to be at the house of black and white. Oh boy. A decent amount. We're going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot of Marine. Okay. Uh, and by Marine, I mean, it's uh it's going to be Tyrion and Jorah on the road. Actually. Uh, I think that we're going to run into Mr. Echo, yeah. uh, in their storyline. We're going to go to Dorn, and then we've got some high Sparrow action. And then we've got the Bolton storyline in Winterfell. So really, it's the it's the greatest hits of all of the bad storylines uh, currently on Game of Thrones. So I think this is this is probably going to hold up as the worst episode of the show. Yeah. All right. So we are going to uh, be trying to get through it, just like uh, we're going to see Stannis try to get through with all of the snow to get down to Winterfell. We'll see if we can get through it. Slowly plowing our way through season five yeah all right it's all happening all right uh josh again uh great job uh you can follow josh wiggler on twitter at round howard um just a programming note uh we will be back in two weeks for unbent uh, unbowed unbent unbroken we really need to take the time to gear up to having to watch this episode is really what yeah. it comes down to. Yeah, this is uh, 100% on me uh, once again that we have the live show for Survivor next week. And uh, that's sort of a, uh, a crazy travel week as I'm going to be uh, in the city getting ready for our live show for Survivor on Rob's podcast. So we'll be back in two weeks. And, th- and then we should be in like a, uh, you know, a little bit of a good run for a while, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that, uh, you know, obviously the last couple of weeks have been uh, exceptional, uh, you know, extraordinary circumstances have been happening. Um, And we've got this show coming up next week. And then once that's taken care of, I think we're going to be we're going to be locked in here for a little while. Uh, It was it was great to get back together and talk some thrones with you here, though. Uh, I have missed you, my friend. And uh, this I thought that this was a fun episode to dig into. All right. Great stuff. All right. Uh, Josh Wiggler has uh, the Sinner podcast up with Antonio Mazzaro. I'll be talking with Antonio Mazzaro about the latest Better Call Saul. Looking forward to getting back together in uh, two weeks for more Game of Thrones. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.